Welcome to the podcast, Whiskey and a Map. Stories of adventure and expeditions as told by those who live them. I'm your host, Michael Reinhardt. It has been said that many adventures and expeditions start simply with a map and a glass of whiskey. A desire to go and see the world's wild places. You're invited to pull up a chair, pour yourself a glass of your favorite whiskey, and join us as we hear stories from another one of our friends just returned from the field. I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine, Chaz Powell. Chaz is an explorer, expedition leader, and survival guide. His ongoing project, called The Wildest Journey, is all about his travels along Africa's wildest rivers with an aim to raise awareness for wildlife conservation and anti-poaching. In 2016 and 2017, Chaz spent 137 days walking over 3,000 kilometers from source to sea along the Zambezi River. And then in 2019, he spent 47 days walking 1,120 kilometers from source to sea along the Gambri River. In that same year, leading a small team for over 800 kilometers in 27 days, he traveled from east to west across Madagascar whilst walking the source to sea along the country's longest river, the Mangaki. His mission is to walk the length of Africa's wildest rivers in the battle against wildlife crime. Chaz, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Michael. Thank you for having me on. Now, you are famous for walking Africa's wildest rivers. Have you always had a interest, a desire to go out and explore? Yeah, I think ever since I can remember it, I've always wanted to explore and just, I think it's obviously been a progression through life. And when I was young, I was a bit restless, I suppose. And and when I was at school, I just wanted to be outside uh, taking on adventures and, and I didn't really want to be contained in a classroom. And I always remember feeling like that. And as soon as I was old enough to obviously pursue adventure, I pretty much traveled and didn't really stop. Um, obviously, the, the more I traveled, the more extreme my adventures became. And yeah, I guess ever since I can remember, I've just wanted to to explore and, and take on journeys, really. And you first started out essentially backpacking around the world. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It was well, I guess. Yeah, it was. I hadn't. I didn't travel anywhere really. I, I most of my holidays as a youngster was in the UK and always camping holidays and things like that. And it wasn't until I was 24 that I actually went backpacking and um, discovered, you know, different parts of the world. And yeah, I didn't really, I couldn't stop. You know, as, as you know, you know, as people go away and travel, that really hit me and uh, I just didn't want to stop. I traveled all over Southeast Asia and traveled all over Australia, New Zealand, um, a bit of the United States and also traveled across Africa and, and just, just, uh, traveled and it, and it just really ingrained into me and yeah I didn't really have any really purpose I guess you know like nowadays I'll do like a particular journey back when I was backpacking it was just a case of travel and see where I ended up and um, yeah I just really enjoy that aspect of it and yeah backpacking really a curiosity of uh, regarding other people in other places yeah, yeah. I think, especially when I was younger, I didn't really know much about anywhere else but the town I grew up in. And I think the, as soon as I started traveling, I, I did create a curiosity within myself to to explore and to sort of learn about different cultures, different people and, um, yeah, different ways of life. And, yeah, something that really sort of, you know, took off from my travels and, and uh, became a part of, learning you know as, as i went really jazz you've literally spent your lifetime traveling the world what is the strangest thing that you've ever seen um i think like you know i've 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 seen a lot of strange things i've from i think the most strange uh, when i was in zambia walking the zambezi river i passed through a number of villages and these villages basically all I heard of locals was, you know, there's witchcraft being practiced in these areas. There's, it's a real sort of, um, you know, dodgy place to be walking. You know, people will kill you for your body parts. And I, get, I was getting all these warnings, you know, about 
particular um, witchcraft-based stories. And I remember reaching one small area, I can't remember the name of the area, it's a small village right in the middle of nowhere on the border of the Congo and Angola. And um, basically I, I, I was with some missionaries I stayed with some missionaries in, in their house and, and they said, oh, we'll take you to one of the churches. We're trying to we're trying to preach Christianity to these people that still practice witchcraft. And um, so basically we went we went to um, we went to a church and they were doing like um, what's the word? It's like when you depossession of a, of a human, you know, they were trying to get the devil out of this person, whatever it was. And, and basically they were doing these chants and. This person was lying on the table, uh, whatever it was, and there was this man was over the top of him, and it was just—I just remember, just—it was just a completely insane sensation all in this room. You know, like there was something really. People were, you know, like screaming. It was chaotic, and I guess what the strangest thing was that the person that was they were doing this to ended up, unless you know, I don't obviously, I I don't necessarily believe in magic or whatever it is, and. Um, I'm a very open-minded and I'm very aware that people can do tricks and whatever it is, but this person was lifted off the ground. No one touching this person. And this person levitated off the ground from the power of the the, the priest um, doing the depossession. And, and this person, you know, no word of a lie, this person must have gone nearly a foot off the ground when they were doing this and they were convulsing and, you know, the, the the main sort of strangeness to it was the fact that all of this sensation in the room that I could feel this this weird, um, you know, atmosphere and uh, like there was definitely some kind of real evil in that room. And and uh, it sounds really, it sounds bizarre and it sounds, uh, you know, it's something you have to see. And, and before that, I didn't really believe in any of this stuff and I didn't believe in the missionaries or Christianity or you know, I'm very open-minded about religion and, and whatever else, but I didn't believe that someone could be possessed or anything like that. And when I saw that, that was something that really opened my eyes and, and made me think, like, you know, this is this is real. This is real stuff, and it's it's crazy. And um, I avoided. I met, you know, it stamped it stamped that sort of warning in me to avoid these areas. And uh, you know, it's it's heavily practiced in them places, and and it. It's definitely something that is strongly believed in by people, and and you can see that it's you know people weren't there, you know they were they were very sort of yeah possessed in a way, and, and even if just in their nature, you know it was it, but that was that was really strange. And um, beyond that, you know on the Zambezi, I kept hearing stories of witchcraft. I kept hearing similar stories of people that had been you know possession and. Uh, people that practice witchcraft and 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 demonic sort of um, practices, you know, sacrifices and things like that, cannibalism. And luckily, I didn't see that that sort of stuff, but I heard it, you know, all the time, especially in them areas that people would get killed and they'd eat people, they'd, they'd um, sacrifice people, and and it was um, very very strange, indeed. When you're out there, that's why I asked this question because folks like you. Dorsey, Amy Greeson, who we just interviewed, you're in places that most Westerners have, ne- you know, never or rarely been to, and you get to witness things that challenge, you know, what we have constructed, you know, in our minds about what reality is. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, and it's all stuff that. Until I traveled to these areas, I was very much the same that I, I didn't believe in, in this sort of stuff. And I guess I guess in a way, you know, I, you can see similar stuff on TV with uh, magicians and, and I'm always very skeptical. But I think that was definitely I think more the sensation of what the room felt like than the actual levitation, levitation of the human being. I felt more like there was an evil spirit in that room. And, and I, I went off my own um sort of senses you know maybe or not it's just the, the atmosphere you know and everyone was obviously doing that but it, it was yeah it was definitely real and it was definitely very bizarre the past few years you focused on traveling by foot africa's wildest rivers why um i think i think the main reason i, I started it was I'd seen and heard of other people doing similar journeys. I became fascinated by 
previous explorers i think obviously my 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 african journey uh, my overland of africa was the last sort of stint of my backpacking and i ended up becoming really fascinated with the wild areas the wildlife the the rivers the the people i i, I just really became fascinated by it and i also started researching previous explorers that went to the area the you know livingston speak stanley all these all these you know victorian explorers that were there for discovery, you know, finding the source of the Nile, navigating the long rivers. And I just researched stories like that. And also modern explorers, I'd seen similar journeys. I'd seen Ed Stafford who'd walked the Amazon and seen Leveson Wood who'd walked the Nile. And, and I'd, see, I'd, I'd been focused on these journeys. And I, I think within myself, I was really craving a long journey by foot. I'd done several different long distance treks, but nothing really really long that had been for several months you know myself and my bag and my 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 um yeah my passion to do a long journey and um yeah the Zambezi was a big part of my Africa trip and I always remember being in several different places along there and, and being fascinated by the area and the people the wildlife the, the troubles the, the tribes the the, the the different you know environments that you pass through along that river I remember just being really fascinated and thinking it would be the ultimate journey and it's classed as the wildest river in Africa and it became, you know, something I really wanted to take on, the wildest journey that I could think of that that was also um, something that would tick all the boxes to do a really extreme adventure, you know, and and that's what started off the the actual um, Zambezi walk and also, you know, it it came in, in, in line with, wildlife conservation you know obviously I'd I'd, uh, heard about different wildlife crimes that happened in the area and I wanted to raise awareness for for, and find out for myself what was happening in these places and I thought how better to do that than to actually walk the river and discover it and and then obviously scream and shout about the problems and raise awareness for the problems and uh, after the Zambezi walk um, that was going to be the wildest journey it was just going to be about the Zambezi and then after that I had a bit of a taste for walking rivers and, and different environments and, and the journey itself, you know, starting from a small little stream to a mighty ocean, you know, the journey is so progressive and so varied and it's just, it's just the ultimate journey for me is, is a river walk, you know, you see so much changes so much and people rely on the rivers, you know, for, 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 for food, for water, for bathing, for, for livelihoods, for transport, and and you know the river just grows and changes, and the environments change, and the wildlife changes, and I think yeah. So for me, walking rivers became a thing that I really enjoyed, and and um, also the old exploration, like I said before, about different explorers that have been to these areas, and different um, real passionate, uh, interesting features to the rivers, you know, and and different stories that were attached to the rivers, and you know, like West African walking the Gambia and there was an explorer called Mungo Park who, who uh, traversed down there to the Niger. And yeah, there was, there was always a story attached in Madagascar. Originally I was going to walk the length of Madagascar and, uh, and then someone else did it at the same time. So I went and did the Zambezi. It was like, I wanted to do a unique journey. And so later on, I went back and walked across Madagascar, followed the longest river. And it, yeah, it just became a thing that, um was just you know really interested into me and um yeah lots of uh it got out of hand i suppose walking several rivers and it got its hooks into you yeah definitely to the zambezi when did that occur uh so it happened in it started in august 2016 and then um i walked all the way to the end of november that year 2016 and i couldn't get into mozambique that year because of civil war and, and threats and, and sort of logistics behind it. So I had to wait. And then 2017, July, 2017, I went back and finished the, I was ent- entered Mozambique and did that section of the walk, which was when I was told that it was safe to do so. But um, yeah, like a, a lot of the times I spoke about the dangers of Mozambique and, Walking in Mozambique was was completely different to that of Zambia, and and the host, you know the hostility, the the danger, the the logistics behind it was really difficult. And yeah, 
Tell us more about your expedition down the Zambezi. Uh, I mean, there is so many, you know, there's so many incredible things and, and real crazy things that happened along the Zambezi. And even like day one, I was left by my guide. Uh, my guide had been involved with the, the, the build up to the expedition and uh, he was, you know, probably about six months of the planning and the build up. He was involved and I'm on board. And, and day one of the expedition, we we were about to walk and we traveled for a few days to get to the source. You know, it wasn't it wasn't just a quick, easy journey to get there. It was obviously a few days. And we were about to walk through the, a big forested area, you know, in the border of the Congo and Angola. Um, he just stopped, turned around and, and said to me, you know, I, I can't walk. The reality is too much. I can't do it. And this is day one, you know, and I'm, I'm stood there thinking, well, all right. And then he, he, he just turned around and walked away. And, and then I'm obviously left to walk alone. That was day one, you know, and then ever since then, I, I mean, that was probably one of the best things that happened in a way, because I got to do the journey the way I wanted to. I met people. I, I stayed with people I wanted to stay with. I, I really learned a lesson as well, because I pushed myself past that being left alone and doing it on my own, you know, which I thought I, I, I would never do, you know, it was a really overwhelming, uh, which is what obviously what happened to him. But yeah, I think it was one of the biggest lessons, but also one of the most beneficial to actually go through that on early in the expedition. And, you know, I had to walk through floodplains initially early on and, and I had to walk around the border of the Congo and Angola. I was warned about, like I say, witchcraft, landmines, lions, uh, real dodgy, dodgy areas, corruption. But then the floodplains are huge, the Barotsi floodplain, a huge expanse of marshland that I had to walk through. And uh, the, I walked at the hottest time of year when temperatures were at 50 degrees Celsius. And um, the reason being so I could get through this marshland, this swampland, and, um, you know, it was it was supposed to be dry or I heard it was going to be dry and I was still wading up to my waist in swamps. And, um, yeah, like I say, there was, that was a 400-mile section. That was a real difficult section. Uh, then I had to drop down uh, after the Victoria Falls. It drops down into a gorge, and I had to walk down in this gorge for several weeks. Um, real difficult terrain, you know, boulders and steep cliffs. And um, I underestimated how long that would take. And um, a lot of the times I talk about the fact that I had to climb out the gorge, the Toka Gorge, and climb out and try and take a shortcut. But then I got lost. On the top of the gorge, I, I became disorientated. It was 50 degrees Celsius. I ended up trying to get back down, and I couldn't get down. It was faced with a huge cliff. I ended up getting really ill. Heat stroke, you know, early signs of heat stroke setting in, and I had to activate the SOS on my satellite device and drink my own urine. You know, I'd run out of water. And, and in the end, they, they couldn't get help to me, so I went back to the cliff and had to sort of climb down this vertical cliff, sort of, fell you know scraped my hands down you know it was just in uh, one of the most insane things you know it's one of my biggest stories on the Zambies I guess is running out of water having to get down this cliff um, nearly dying you know I think that was one of the times in my life that I can hands down say I, I thought I was gone you know I thought that was me done and um, ended up getting back down there and then after that, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously having to stop my expedition at a certain point because of uh, death threats and, and uh, civil war. I'm getting charged by elephants. You know, there's lions outside my tent. Every day I'm seeing lion prints, leopard prints, um, elephant, you know, tracks, dung. Um, I was charged by elephants. Um, I was kidnapped in Mozambique. Another big story. When I did get into Mozambique, uh, one of the things you have to do in Africa, anywhere really, I suppose, you have to go through a village, let them know what you're doing, uh, get permission to go through the village. Um, obviously, they'll either let you stay in the village or they'll let you go through. Uh, Mozambique, very different. You know, there was very suspicious. Obviously, there had been a civil war. They thought I was maybe a spy or, or up to no good. And uh, yeah, during that time in Mozambique, I was I was treated very differently. The police would grab my bag and empty it out on a daily, but they'd take my passport off me. They'd want money. There was, but in this village, you know, I, 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 they didn't believe my story. It ended out that I'd sat there for several hours. I tried to get, I tried to get through the village. I tried to get, you know, permission to stay in the village. And in the end, they didn't believe me. I was dragged and kicked and by a load of guys shoved in a room in the middle of the village. And then it, 
I was in there for several days. You know, I was in there for several days, locked up in this, I guess it, it was a cell, maybe in the middle of the village, like a prison cell. And um, I ended up, let the got one of the guys ended up letting me out to go to the toilet on the third morning. And, and I just had my stuff and I just walked and ended up just walking through the bush, you know, and just hacking through the bush for several hours and getting back to the river and staying low by the river for a few hours. And it was a case of, you know, I was either getting trouble from the people, I was getting trouble from the wildlife, and I had to really sort of estimate how I went through each area, whether or not I stay away from the wild wildlife parts or whether or not I stay from the hostile villages and the, the troubled areas. And I had to balance it out. You know, I was obviously in danger from wildlife, but in danger from people. And it was a real difficult um, compromise, you know, to have to sort of work out that all the time because you did have to rely on people because, you know, you didn't have, I had to get food from villages. I didn't have um, shelter, or, you know, I had protection sometimes or people to guide the way and stuff like that. And it was a lot went into it, real, a lot went into it. And even when I reached the ocean, you know, I, I was stuck on a mangrove, a swampy mangrove. It wasn't like an idyllic palm beach, you know, and uh, I had to get a flag fisherman down to sort of get me off this. I'm stranded on this beach. The sea had come around me and it was just nonstop, nonstop um, real, yeah, difficulties, I suppose. But at the same time, I absolutely loved it. And it was like the ultimate journey and people, you know, the humble people I met along the way that had nothing and they gave me everything. You know, I was sat in villages with people who had nothing. The most memorable times was, you know, sat with a family on the ground and they were helped. They were, they had one plate of food and they were sharing food with me. And I just learned so many stories and I learned so many internal things about myself and about people, humanity. You know, there was, there was definitely a balance where, I was treated really well, but then the, the crazy negative times were were weighed out because of the times I was treated well by the people. And um, even the wildlife, you know, there was, the, like say, elephants charged me, but there was times I was just sat by the river and there was elephants bathing in the river and it was majestic. And obviously we're keeping distance, but, you know, I, I found a mutual respect for the wildlife because, you know, they're obviously dangerous, but I learned to be able to, be amongst them as such from a distance and they could as long as I was respecting their space they'd, they'd go about their business and but I think obviously sometimes like when I got charged by an elephant I it's very difficult to see these animals as well and if you get too close to where they are you're going to get charged you're going to get a mock charge from the elephant normally which was lucky what happened and um but at the same time these animals can kill you and then they will kill you you know they're wild and um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many stories from the Zambezi that I could probably talk about it for like a week or something nonstop because it's just in it's just the most incredible thing that ever I've ever been through. But at the same time, it changed my life a lot as well. You know, I I came away from there, like I said, and obviously learned a lot about myself. But then I had a real craving to take on more adventures. And um, you said that you learned a lot about yourself and that it changed you. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about yourself and, and how did it change you? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess like the main things I, I, I say I learn about myself is like, you know, like day one when I was left alone that I was stood there. I remember being stood there thinking, you know, I've got, I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, I've known what do I do? And I was in the same mindset as that guy. And I remember just saying, no, you can do it. You can. And, and I remember just knowing my, my drive and commitment to move and to tell myself, just take it one day at a time. And, and I, you know, before I actually went through that, that, that was just day one. I didn't know I could do that. You know, I knew you have to go through difficult times, but that was like the ultimate sort of like you're in the middle of a jungle. You've got to walk through on your own along the Zambezi, real territory I never knew I could even put myself into, you know, and, and that was just day one. And uh, I think I learned that, I think I went into that expedition really quite, not narrow-minded, but I think it, it opened my mind. You know, it changed me in a way that my mind was so open from the humble people I'd met that hadn't got anything, you know, and they shared things with me. And, and maybe before I went on that expedition, I was impatient or I was selfish in, in a way. And I remember just learning a lot more patience. You know, there's a slower pace of life out there. And I remember coming out of it, you know, real patient and calm and, and um, 
you know, respectful for, for different cultures, which I was anyway, in a way, but I think that really heightened it, that I'd, I'd learned a lot more respect for people and I'd learn, you know, and understand people, you know, because even like I say about the, the hostility I received, I had to really understand why are they, why are they like this? Why are they being like this towards me? And it, it was obviously because they, they've maybe had a life of, of war or they've had troubles or they've had corruption. And, and I think I just learned to really step back and understand people before I judge people. And, and, um, you know, I think you can, you can, by just understanding people, you can learn so much about yourself, but also obviously about them and what they've been through. And, um, which is something I think one of the biggest flaws in humanity is not understanding people and, and uh, respecting what they've been through or, or, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes and, and then sort of like saying, well, I never walked away from that kidnapping episode and was, was angry of anybody because, you know, these people didn't know who I was. They were very suspicious of me. And, and that, that was more what I, I thought about than the actual, oh, they've took me away, you know, they've kidnapped me, they've put locked me up. And yeah, I, I, I didn't, before I did that, I didn't think I'd, I'd be able to process things like that as well. I didn't think I'd be able to say, okay, I'd, I'd have probably been angry or frustrated with people. And I think I just, I just calmed a lot more and, um, became more easygoing, became more sort of respectful, like I say, more understanding and um, patient and uh, more gratitude as well. You know, you see people that haven't got anything in life. And, you know, here in the UK, and it's probably similar, in a lot of the Western world, we've got anything we need, you know, and and we can go and get a degree or we can go and get uh, food or we can go, everything's there, isn't it? You know, water out of a tap and in Africa, Africa, you know, in a lot of these parts of the world that haven't got much, you know, they they they, they don't need much. You know, they live off what they've got. They've got water out the river. They get fish out the river. They grow some crops. I think you walk away from it really grateful for what the opportunities we have here, you know. And um, you know, I, I can I can I travel to broaden my mind, but then when I come back, I'm very very grateful for what I have and the opportunities and um, yeah. I think it's, it's yeah. I think I've, I think I learned a lot. But if if that makes sense, if you know, what I mean, it, it's it's all sort of, yeah. Maybe yeah. I don't know. I think I've broadened my mind. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I think that that was also you know when maybe I've come back and I, the frustrations I have might be with people that don't appreciate what they've got or or little things like that and i think that that is everyone can get caught up in in the chaos what's going on in the world and they can get frustrated by little things and and it and it's it's not a case of i guess you know that person just needs maybe to step out of that just learn to sort of like say okay right this is real minor this is a real minor thing and there's such major stuff happening in the world and why am I focused on this small little thing and getting upset about it? Because, you know, I think you need to, you need a few lessons in life, like I say, what you learn to, to really understand that sometimes because you can get caught up in the chaos around you and l- any little thing will heighten anything. You know, you'll be like, oh, my phone's not got service or, you know, I've got to drive an extra five minutes or, you know, it's like, well, it's it's not that bad, you know. Uh, especially on your trips, the Zambezi, the Gambia, the others, there's a lot of things out there that want to eat you. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned that you learned how to coexist with them. And there was also, I think, a time when on the Gambia that you're going through a national park with a ranger and they were teaching you how to uh, move with the animals. Uh, what did you learn in that respect? Uh that was a difficult time, you know, in the Gambia, because the, the main reason no one's ever actually walked the Gambia, well, probably not just the main reason, but the the, the, the near Kolokoba National Park is sort of in the middle of Senegal. It's a huge national park that, that sort of in the middle of the Gambia River carves through it. And uh, it's basically a, a massively lion populated region, you know, a lot of lions more than anything else there. And uh, we had to walk through that park with some rangers. We, we only just managed to get permission like last minute to go through. And we had a couple of rangers with us and, and they taught, I mean, the stuff they taught us was we, we were in single file. We're not being too, um, you know, if you're in a big 
row or whatever is going to scare the animal if you're in single file they, they sort of see and um, you'll you'll create less noise obviously being single file one of them was at the front one was at the back we have to stop when the lions you know there was lions that appeared you know normally quite far away and we'd stop we'd let the lion do their own thing and then we calmly carry on afterwards you know and it was just it was more about movement more about respecting the animal um you know in the jobs these guys do i think the lions they they they're used to these people as such as well you know they're protecting the national parks and um they'll see the people and they'll know they're maybe part of the the park and maybe they're sort of used to them in a way i don't know but yeah i think it's more you know even when i was on the zambezi and and it's more about if you're intimidating that animal or you're in its personal space or you've got to know, I guess these guys have got a knowledge, whether it's breeding season or, or for certain animals aggressive or whatever it is, uh, they'll obviously be very cautious uh, of certain animals or, or aware of certain animals. Maybe they're, they're aware that the animals will pass. And yeah, I learned that it was uh, about respect and patience with, with wildlife, their wild animals. And uh, yeah moving carefully you know like they're unpredictable you know wildlife can can attack if it wants to and um yeah luckily we got through that area safely you know the rangers obviously do an amazing job to protect the area they very professional they know what they're doing they yeah they guided us through there uh, and they were funny guys as well really nice guys really laid back really sort of cool guys and really helpful you know it was it was probably that of uh, the gambia river expedition that that four days through the national park was probably my favorite part you know learning from them but also being with them they were just really cool people to be with walk of the gambia as i understand it you were the first at least westerners non-locals to walk the entire length yeah i mean it's always one of them where you say i'm the first to do this to do that but as far as i could find research wise i hadn't seen anyone else or heard of anyone else who'd walked the gambia and you know probably through history i'm sure people have but i guess it's a case of why would anyone do it as well i suppose walk from source to sea and whatever it is but yeah as far as i know we me and tim who walked the gambia we were the first to do it and uh there was another guy jason florio and his wife helen they they canoed several years before and i spoke to them guys they they you know i spoke i always speak to people that have done similar things or or have maybe been in that area and and, and those those two were, were helpful to obviously plan the logistics behind the different areas we went through and but yeah as far as walking i think we i think we can claim that one you know at least known history you know as you're walking down these wild rivers, do you ever reflect and think back to what it might have been like for those early explorers like Livingston? Yeah, I mean, even like the Zambezi, you know, when, when I went through certain areas, they had never seen a white person or anyone from outside their village. And, and the only name I ever heard from people who, who you know, from recent, they, they, the only person they knew was Livingston. And even then, they were like they they. Some people times like I looked on as a reincarnation of Livingston. It was one of the, I guess an honour to be looked on like that. And but that was the only real name I ever heard in a lot of places, which is David Livingston, and he's still known through history there now as being one of the, well, I guess one of the only good people that was around who tried to help you know stop slavery, and uh, he was obviously a missionary and whatever it was, but. Yeah, what he went through was a completely different time. You know, it was it was torn apart in Africa then. It was well, it was being torn apart, I suppose. And um, you know, slavery was a massive thing. There was um, wildlife would have been huge disease. You know, obviously Livingston was a doctor, and uh, he ended up looking after him, which is why I guess he survived for so long there because he was a doctor and he had obviously um, he, he cured himself from malaria and dysentery and whatever it was, which obviously ended up killing him in the end. But yeah, I think it was what he went through, you know, so commendable as far as the type of person he, I, I assume he was, you know, to, to obviously be on the side of the people, want to be in Africa, want to be with the people there and uh, respect the people, which, you know, I don't think many people did, especially then, you know, and, he he really was, you know, the ultimate sort of uh, explorer in a way because he was going out there looking for the source of the Nile and, and you know, he was 
doing navigable routes down the Zambezi. He was walking across different areas, and and it, and, it, and it even now like excites me. That's what I you know wanted. I wanted an exciting journey that was was similar to that of Livingston, and we walked similar areas where we would have been. And um, it was just yeah, you know, I can't I can't really. He got you know he was attacked by lions. He was um, in in war zones. You know there was there was obviously massacres that he witnessed and was around and, and it was a completely different time. You know, Africa is still very temperamental in a lot of these places, you know, like say Mozambique, you've got the Congo, you've got all these areas where they would have been that, that are really, you know, in, in difficult times, I suppose you could say. And I think like when Livingston was around, it would have been very similar. Um, but yeah, I think now it's, it's, probably as dangerous in some places I'd say as when Livingston was still uh, was around but I don't know still Chaz it was pretty dodgy to be out where you were yeah yeah I mean it I think like my ultimate journey would be the Congo River you know that that river would fascinate me but I think it would also be my end you know because I think it's the ultimate journey following the Congo you know wild environments real just unknown as well you know I like the unknown I like discovery I like to research I like to it just excites me I think when I when I hear about a trail that everyone else has done I, I think yes it would be a lovely walk but it doesn't tick the boxes for me as research and danger and um, like an ultimate adventure really that would be a very dangerous trip doing the length of the Congo but uh, what an epic adventure yeah, I think that's it. You know, I think that that part of it, the danger sort of every expedition I've done, there's been an element of danger, which which is it can be a bit silly, I suppose. But at the same time, it's I think that we the more we think of these dangers, that they're not always as they're not always as bad as we think. I suppose you go to these areas, you hear the worst stories, don't you? You always hear the worst, and a lot of the times people are caught up in a lot of dangerous areas and obviously the wildlife being part of it, but also obviously the war-torn areas and, and the Congo though, I suppose is, yeah, it's just another level. You know, they've been through so much. They were torn apart as a country, uh, you know, obviously after Morton Stanley went in and Leopold, you know, they've been torn apart and they haven't really ever glued themselves back together. And, and it's, it's a sad thing to see, but, you know, I think walking through there would be, stupid of me you know to, to put myself in an area that's that's been through so much and and you know it's unpredictable and, and I would basically be committing suicide going into somewhere like that because you know these people aren't why would they want to treat me any differently to they treat anyone else you know I'm just I think it's just quite selfish to be to be doing things like that but also at the same time you know the dense jungle the river the the stories the history the I just, it just, it's a fascinating, it would be a fascinating expedition for sure. So Jazz, what's next for you? What's coming up? What do you have planned for your next adventure? So I've had to, I've had to put a few expeditions off and, and one of them was walking the Orange River uh, whilst crossing Africa, through South Africa. And that was going to be in 2020. Um, then I put it off to 2021 and then I was going to do it again this year. And, I think because obviously what happened, COVID hit and I couldn't do that expedition. And South Africa became obviously quite a difficult area to be anyway. You couldn't travel there. And I, I ended up I ended up buying some land here in um, North Scotland. And I've been focused on cre- creating an off-grid life here. And I've done a few. I'm creating a, a lot of northern-based adventures. I, I walked across from home here to across the Orkney and the Shetland Islands. I'm also... Focusing on maybe doing some more surrounding areas. I want to do a lot more Scandinavian regions as well. And I, w- I do want to go back to Africa. You know, I, I was going to walk the Senegal River. That was another one. And But I've sort of put it on hold. I think while I'm cr- concentrating on this this project here and the land, and uh, but I am itching to get to Africa. And it's, it's probably only a matter of time when I'm just like, All right, off I go, you know, but. Yeah, I think it's just it's just been such a difficult couple of years, hasn't it, to plan? And I think that once again, I feel a bit selfish if I'm going out to places and it's not quite stable or it's not quite acceptable to be going into these places. Maybe I know it probably isn't isn't as bad at the moment, but I'm always quite I'm quite hesitant to commit to something too big at the moment, really. And 
just sort of happy to take a back seat. And then I'm, I'm also enjoying writing about the journeys and, and obviously sharing my stories about the expeditions I've done and doing a lot of writing, maybe, maybe get a few books written as well. And, and then maybe once I've done that and justified these previous expeditions, I might say, right, I'm off to walk another one and feel like I've, I've, I'm ready, you know? Well, there's so much that you've learned and so much that you could share with people. Uh, books would be, I know for myself and for other folks like us, uh, we'd love to read them. You've been places where no outsiders have been. Most folks can't go. But as you say, share those experiences to maybe open up their frame of reference. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's. I think that there's a lot in me, you know, as far as everyone's always like, what's next, what's next? And I think because I've always gone off the back of that, that I've I've never really sort of stopped. I've just carried on, you know, and I've never stopped and thought, right, let's write about this journey. Let's talk about this journey. And, you know, last year I was awarded with the Explorer of the Year because of what I'd been through before that, you know, all these expeditions. And I think coming off that, you know, a real, real, amazing recognition that, that I'm like right I want to I want to do justice for what I've done you know and write about it and it's obviously a something that's been noticed which was was I guess I didn't really look at that you know that, that I'd done a lot and it had been noticed I was always like my own self like I say in nearly two decades of travel now and I've never really wanted to stop I've just kept going and our passion of yours it happens to be a, an interest of mine, too, is wildlife protection, wildlife crime, and the phenomenon of poaching, especially in Africa. And a lot of your walks and adventures expeditions there had that as a, as a focus. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I guess like the... Like I say, when I travelled Africa, when I did that overland of Africa, I, I focused that journey on on wildlife mainly, and I wanted to visit wildlife um, sanctuaries. I wanted to go to national parks. I wanted to volunteer at places and, and learn about the wildlife and learn about the the, the environments and the the things that are happening to the wildlife. And and when I committed to what was Zambezi and I was planning it. I had no real aim to do it for charity at the time. And I remember someone saying, well, what, why don't you try and raise awareness for something? You know, you, you're obviously doing a really big journey. People will be watching it. You know, you could raise an awareness. And so I can't remember who said it now, but they were like, what, what, is you, what are you interested in? And I said, well, the only thing I'm really interested in is, well, obviously interested in a lot, but my main passion is, is wildlife and, and what's happening to the wildlife in the world. And I remember just saying, yes, it would tie in well. I'm obviously working Africa's rivers and, uh, why not use it as a platform to raise awareness for wildlife loss and conservation issues? And um, obviously, ever since I've committed to that, it's become a, a, obviously a part of the, the expeditions. I've, I've learned about poaching. I've um, seen, you know, I've heard stories. I've seen um, devastating scenes with elephants that have been killed and tusks sawn off. You know, there was. I've seen deforestation. I've seen a human and wildlife conflict, um, you know, stories and, and incidences and, and the land of the wildlife, you know, the elephant migration routes being built on by humans and, and the conflict that's happening with wildlife and the, the history that, you know, the elephants, like the rhinos and the extinction rates, you know, the massacres of these animals. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's always just re really difficult to take that humanity can drop to a level where we don't care about wildlife anymore, wild places, and, and we've got to a stage where we were getting greedy, and we we don't we're not, and you know, and these animals are second to us. You know, is in, in most people's eyes, he's second to us, and we've lost respect for them. Maybe it's because of the, the wildlife conflict and the population growth in areas. I suppose is, is a part of it, but. Yeah, it's just it's something that really saddens me. And, and I think my main focus on an expedition has been to raise awareness of these issues and, and obviously raise funds along that, but also um, use it as a platform to raise awareness. It, it's always been something I'm passionate about. It's always been something that um, I try my hardest to, to use, you know, to focus on when I'm on an expedition. And maybe I'm researching um, different aspects, you know, maybe the river pollution or the the wildlife that's in the certain areas as it decreased 
is there a problem you know is there human wildlife problems is there um deforestation is there you know obviously there's a lot of mining in africa is this causing effects on the wildlife has it polluted the rivers you know is the fish being depleted in certain areas there's there's so many things that you know that i've seen and heard and and i had people asking me if i wanted to buy ivory i've seen you know endangered species being killed and sold for meat uh, i've seen and heard you know so many stories and, and i've obviously tried to share this as i've been and tried to work alongside wildlife charities to um yeah learn but also to raise awareness and funds and and yeah it's just i guess the main thing is it's it's a huge passion and, and something i feel a real grievance for that that it's happening in the world really the saddest things that uh, I read or heard you say was that you were in one part, and I forget which river you were on, but you were looking around and you all of a sudden realized that there's little wildlife around in a place yeah. where just a generation or two ago would have been teeming with wildlife. And it was, you were struck by just the absence of it. Yeah. Do you recall that? I think, well, yeah, I think like that, that, that could be every river i think madagascar was the biggest eye-opener for me you know that the madagascar the the you know the endemic species to to that to that country you know the, the you know there's i think there's so much you know native wildlife in madagascar that we hear about and we, we were focused on and, and the reality is a lot of these areas have been completely stripped of forests the habitats they've been killed you know the, the, the decreasing beyond belief especially the central core of Madagascar, you know, there's no forest, there's, there's nothing, you know, people have obviously used um, the forest for charcoal burning for food and, and for fires and whatnot. And uh, yeah, that, that was, that was really eye-opening. You know, the wildlife is just gone. And and it was a, a bit like, I don't know, you, have you seen like the Lorax and stuff like that when you're walking through an area and you realize that, that humanity has taken nature, away and it was like i felt like that a little bit you know like i was sad that i mean you can't blame the people it's hot like i say i have to understand the people they've they've used the forest they haven't got much you know they're very poor they've used the forest to, for, for cooking and whatnot and, and for building and but then there's no programs in place to replant trees or you know the wildlife itself is just completely gone you know obviously they've got nowhere to live um They've been pushed out into little reserves and these reserves are getting smaller and the protection of them is getting um, unstable a little bit as well, you know. But also, as we know now, you know, there's a lot of poaching and there's a lot of um, ivory and rhino horns that are valuable. And, you know, if, if so, what I found in Africa, you know, the stories behind this was I didn't necessarily meet anyone that bought the rhino horns, but I did see poachers and I did learn that you know, sad stories that people ha don't have anything. And if someone comes up to you and offers you enough money to, to live comfortably for the rest of your life, you know, you're going to kill an elephant, you're going to kill a rhino. Well, I wouldn't, but these people do, you know, and, and they've grown up with these these animals and they've grown up with hunting as being part of life. And and they don't look at it like we do, I suppose. And, and I have to sort of try and get that balance where I'm real in grievance of what's happening, but then you've got the people that are doing it. They're just the middle, the middlemen. You know, they've got the people that have got the money who buy it and sell it on the black market are, are obviously the ones that are the problem. Uh, these guys that haven't got anything and they're being offered a, a lifetime of money for, for, for slaughtering an animal. Uh, it's, it's such a difficult, it's such a difficult, as you can imagine, such a difficult situation. And, um, and I mean, there is, there is programs going on to educate the young, the youth, to obviously go forward and, and and learn to work with wildlife differently, you know, maybe focus on tourism more. And the fact that if there is no wildlife in Africa, people probably won't want to visit Africa, you know. I mean, the reality of it, you know, you go in there to see the majestic creatures in the wild and going on safaris, and that's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on more safaris, more education for the youth that are coming through, you know, I guess just just combining the two. So people are happy to work alongside and understand that, you know, to get tourism in the country and to grow the country's economy, that they need to have the wildlife there. And it's, it's got to be side by side, you know, but it's easy for us to say, I think like in the UK, especially 
strip the forest down several hundred years ago, you know, and killed a lot of the wildlife and all that business. And now Africa and, you know, different parts of the world do it, then it's hard not to feel like critical, I suppose, because it's a difficult one. But I always find it quite difficult to talk about wildlife, as you probably might feel that, you know, that, that it's there's so much behind it that it's it's um but yeah personal passion i really want to help and try and see if there's something that can be done to bring wildlife back and and humanity you know can live side by side would be my dream yeah i think it's it's something i think i'd like to encourage people to research more and to and to look at more and and sort of realize that we do need to save the wild areas to save humanity ultimately really for those who want to follow you on your expeditions and learn more about you, how can they, uh, how can they do that? Uh, so my website is thewildestjourney.com, but uh, most of my stuff I do, most of my posts, my, my stories, my, uh, yeah, my little captions and my pictures is Instagram, the wildest journey. That's the one I use mainly, but any, any, any platform with the wildest journey um, is where you'll find me. There's a Facebook page, there's Twitter, there's yeah, Instagram. But the website, if you want to have a look at any of my previous expeditions or potentially getting involved in the future, thewildestjourney.com is the place. You know, I think it's it's a good world, you know, full of so many amazing places and I think that if we spend our whole life reserved about wanting to do something, then we'll, you know, it's always going to be the biggest regret. I think just get out there and do it and uh, embrace it and enjoy it. Well said, well said. Jazz, it's been great to have this conversation with you. I hope you'll come back and and join us uh, with your next adventures. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I will definitely come back. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you down the road when we get together again, share a glass of whiskey, and hear more stories of adventure as told by those who live them. Until then, check us out at michaeljreinhardt.com where you'll find more of my work as an adventure photojournalist. Photos, videos, and articles of interesting people, mysterious places, and exotic cultures from the wild places of the world.